Welcome to another episode of uh, Under the Influence with me, Jazz Rai, and Dilesh Poppet from Turning Point. And go on, Dilesh, I'll let you introduce our guest today. We've got Alni over here. Um, so, there's, I know quite a lot about Alni Jazz. Um, I've worked with Alni when she, when she was referred to me by herself um, into treatment for alcohol addiction. Um, there'll be times where Alni will be coming to sessions and I'd just be thinking at some sessions that yes we've we finally we're finally getting somewhere we're finally getting somewhere and the following week Alni will walk back in and I'll be like no we're not getting anywhere where, where do we go next you know, what, what, what can we do um, there's been such situations where Alni come with her mum and I thought this would be a great idea we'll get Alni and her mum in we'll see if we can have a joint meeting and after that after Alni left I was like Wow, what do I do here? But uh, I know you've recently just come out of rehab and you seem to be doing really well at the moment, but how did this all sort of begin? Where did this all start from, the, the alcohol addiction? So it start, if I'm, we're going to be honest with you, it started when I was about 24. Um, I was in a relationship that wasn't really stable. I hadn't really dealt with past traumas from my childhood and I suppose those blocks that I'd been filling for a long time just became a bit too much for me. So if I was going to be honest with you, I did use alcohol. I started using it as a self-medicating tool at that point. And I suppose ever since then, it's been my go-to when I'm down or I can't, I wasn't able to deal with what was going on or I was stressed because I'm an overthinker anyway. So for me, if it was not just something that's happened, I'll think about it for days and days and days and I won't sleep for weeks and weeks and weeks and I just want to knock out. So then I'll use the alcohol and obviously last year um, I wasn't able to just stop because I became alcohol dependent so I'd use it to that extreme that I needed the alcohol to keep me alive when it was killing me at the same time. Uh, you, did you say you were 24? Is that when you, you realised you had an issue with alcohol? Or, or was that? No, so when I was 20, I used alcohol previous to 24, but it was, ne it was always a social. social it yeah. was never, you know, I was never over the, like, drunk or yeah. off it. At 24 is when I started to use alcohol as a self-medicating tool. To cushion some that pain. Yeah, to cushion emotions and mm. pain and, mm. you know, whatever was going on in my life at the time. I was quite lonely. My ex-partner, the father of my children, wasn't the best. He was in and out of my life. I was isolated from my family. Like I said previously, there was a lot of trauma that I'd had as a child, which I'd, you know, never properly got to deal with. And it was just all getting a bit too much for me. I wouldn't, now I would say I had a problem starting at 24. At that time, I wouldn't have. No. But now I can look back at my life and say, yes, that is when my problem with alcohol started. Do you mind if I ask you a very personal question? No. How old are you now? 36. 36, all right. Yeah. So you're 36 now. Yeah. You had this realisation at 24. So, how, how did, you know, using alcohol to cushion that pain, how did that make you feel at the time? Oh, it felt great. It was like, it did what, you know, it was meant to do. It was accessible. You didn't have to go to the shop to get it. And it, it wasn't really expensive. I didn't have to ring no dealers or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. it did what I wanted it to do at that time. Yeah. And then I'd binge drink for a bit, and then I'd stop. Obviously, I didn't like the withdrawals and, you know, the next day, but it was like, yeah. So, how it, much were you drinking then at, uh, say, let's say that... At the height of it, you know. At the, at the, at the height of it. At your worst. Oh, um, probably about 
probably about a litre of vodka, and I'm talking neat vodka here. Just I wouldn't be mixing it with anything. Just as bad as me, then. <laughs> just straight out of the, the bottle. I'd knock out, I'd wake up, and I'd start drinking all over again. Yeah, that just sounds just like me. And then I'd throw up, maybe, yeah. and then I'd go and get some more. Good bucket, yeah. What period, would you, what age range would you say that was? When was this? When was my worst? When your worst period? Last year. And is that when you decided you wanted to access treatment and get support, or...? Did you pushed in to get that support? I'd been with like support, I'd been with Turning Point before, so I'd always been like a, I've always used like I said from 24 I'd use alcohol as a self-medicating tool. So I'd, things would go wrong. I'd binge drink. I'd binge drink for one day, two days, three days, four days. I'd stop and I'd then control drink as I'd like to call it for like three, four months, and then obviously the binge would come in again. But and I'd been with Turning Point before, and I, my worker at that time said to me, look, Annie, you don't need to go to rehab, you'll be fine, you can do this. And I thought, yeah, he's right, actually, I don't need to go to rehab, I can do this. But then, when the, but my worst happened last year, and I obviously, I seizured, I think it was a seizure, to be honest with you, because that's when I realised, actually, something, something's a bit different this time. Um, every other time, I was just able to come off it, and this time, obviously, I wasn't. And... Um, and then, I, th I think even then, I still, part of me thought, no, I've seizured, but I can still do this kind of thing. I, I'd even, well, if you remember, Dilesh, I'd even said to you, I'm going back to work. And you said to me, you can't. And I said to you, I am. And watch me. I'm going back to work. That was, that was a scary part um, from my side, because with your job that you do as well, it was quite an important job. And, and just a slight error or anything going wrong could, could lead to a lot of difficulties and I remember you coming over to me and I'm going back to work and I was just thinking to myself is no you can't and what can I do to stop this? I remember you saying I said to you no I'm going but that was my moment I realised that I need help because obviously I wasn't drinking going to work and by about um, I'd say about 12 one o'clock I was shaking I, I couldn't even sit on the, the chair Obviously, I have to write on like tubes. I couldn't write. I, my hand was trembling. I thought I was going to collapse. I'd have to go on like I'd try different things. I tried drinking lemonade, boost, but nothing was working. I'd have to leave then, and I'd have to go and get out. I had to, I'd have to drink. Were people at work also aware of what you was going through at that stage, or did you keep that secret? They knew about my history with alcohol, but they didn't know about my alcohol dependence. No. And how, how long was it to? How long were you able to keep it a secret from your family, maybe? Before, when was it they realised that, hang on, there is a problem here? I don't know if I was ever able to keep it a secret from my family. I think when I was 24 years old, I lived, I didn't live with my mum, my family, so I lived with my um, ex-partner, and he was always in and out. So I was very much able to just use and drink then, because no one was there to see or whatever. But I think my... I'm not going to lie, I think my parents did clock on because they did ring me and I'd be like, you know, slurring mm. and things like that. But then after, after I moved houses, I got, I got a job, ironically, with the Drug and Alcohol Action Team at the time. And, and um, yeah, everything was fine. And I fell pregnant with my son. Then after I had my son, uh, they made people redundant. So I was one of the people they made redundant. And that's when the alcohol started getting quite bad again. And then um, my parents realised then, because they'd come and they'd knock on the door and I wouldn't answer the door and then they'd have to, like, you know, like, ring me and ring me and ring me or call my ex-partner to like, open the door and they'd see me slumped out. 
and obviously it was dangerous because I had the children as well. My son was quite young at the time. And then when I moved in with my parents, um, after I split from my ex-partner five years ago, I think, yeah, I had bouts. Like I said to you, I drank in binges, so they'd know. And I think over the last few years, it'd be like, oh my God, like, Annie's had a binge. And then they'd just be waiting for the next one, literally just waiting. One month will go, Annie's fine. Two months, when's it coming, when's it coming? And I remember, again, speaking to you several times, and hopefully mum doesn't mind me saying this, that he was saying my mum's locked me in the room, my mum's done this, she's not feeding me alcohol. I think he was also staying with your gran. That's right. He was also staying with your gran. How do you think your drinking had impact on the whole, on your whole family? Uh, it had a proper detrimental uh, impact on my family, and I didn't see it at the time. I think, like, now, like at that time, I felt like I was in a black hole and I thought I was on my own in that hole. Um, now I can see that my children and my mum and dad and my whole family were in that black hole with me. And I can see that now, but I didn't see it at the time. My mum and dad were worried sick about me, like before they realised that, that I had to have alcohol. Um, obviously, they were, they were draining every bottle I had, so I would have to go and get a new one. I went to lengths. They'd lock me in the house, I'd jump out the window. I broke my nose and everything, um, you know, to get the alcohol and they didn't know what to do. But I think once they found out that I was alcohol dependent and that I needed it to live, essentially, you know, they started giving it to me. But I remember my dad and um, when he, because in the end he did my um, shots for me to stabilise me because I obviously couldn't stabilise myself. And he said to me, Annie, I never thought there'd be a day where I'd be having to give my daughter alcohol. And I could see like tears in his eyes. They were just like, they were distraught. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they were going to come back from work and I was going to be dead or alive or, you know, and my grandma, like, I remember going to my grandma's house and um, I drank so much that I fell down the stairs. Now, my grandma's 79 years old. I fell down the stairs and then I smashed one of her muddies, like a, 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 idol, a God's idol thing that she's really fond of and straight into her plant and I was bleeding. And I don't really remember it. And, you know, I put her into a right panic that day. Um, I got told afterwards so obviously looking back it's like I was they were dying emotionally and physically as well as I I was too Only, um, alcohol is only a symptom of an underlying issue mm. so can you can you identify with any underlying issues you know whether it be peer pressure guilt your own feelings being isolated would you say there was what can you identify with today, looking back, that maybe was an underlying issue that made you turn to the alcohol? So there was traumas, mm -hmm. like I said, I explained to you earlier. So there was traumas in my childhood. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of pain. There was, there was loneliness as well. I felt quite isolated. I felt that my parents weren't, even though I... Like, yeah, even though what happened to me happened, I felt like my parents weren't really on my side. And then I had a partner who was, you know, emotionally abusive, physically abusive. He'd smash doors and windows and throw things at me and call me all sorts of names. And it was really, it, it just got too much for me. It was almost like, how strong can I be? I mean, I tried to commit suicide a few times. This isn't just when I was drinking. I, mean, I tried to commit suicide in my um, teenage years. Um, but that, you know, I was never successful in that. Um, but yeah, it was just, yeah. And were you, were you ever able to discuss these with anyone, mate? Like you said, you, you family members and your mum and dad, you, you tried to talk to them. But was there anyone else that you could confide in, friends, 
that maybe maybe that, that understood you. There was people I could talk to, which is which is the, one of the reasons I went with my ex-partner and I got into that relationship so quickly is because he showed me the emotion um, and said the things I wanted to hear from my parents. You know, that's that's the whole reason. Had I, in hindsight, had that had what happened to me not happened to me, I wouldn't have gone so deep into it. But even me talking to people, that wouldn't have changed my situation. Mm. At the end of the day, it, it wouldn't have made any difference to what I was going through. It wouldn't have made my mum and dad think any differently. So what, what, what did make a difference? Rehab? It, rehab made a difference to me. Yeah, how? how? I, I didn't have the benefit of rehab. I sometimes wish I did. Because yeah. I, I'm not a great fan of rehab, because I do believe it's, it's a bit of a business and revolving doors for some people. But then when I hear the success stories, yeah. and I've worked with a lot of people that have been to rehab, and people that have been to rehab are supporting the Seek Recovery Network, I do believe it works. I, tell me how... how the rehab worked for you and how you connected with rehab? Well, I start from the beginning. I yeah, remember yeah. when Dilesh um, said to me, I think you need to go to rehab. <laughs> and I said to him, I'm not going to rehab. I don't know, what, you, what are you thinking? Do you Is that, that the part where you said it? I don't, I don't know. Can I, you remember the rehab? I might have said to him, you can shove your rehab up your ass or something like that. <laughs> potentially, yeah. you potentially did. Yeah. But I, I think... What was your reaction to that? I think when, when, you, when you speak to somebody like Annie and you see that she's already, we take it away that she, you already went through treatment, she was closed positive. So she did relapse. You did, is that correct? You did relapse, didn't you? Well, I never really stopped drinking. So it wasn't like I left turning point and then I was abstinent. I'd left turning point thinking I could control drink. Yeah. And that's where, and when speaking to you and hearing about your life and hearing about your life experience, sometimes as a worker, you've got to actually think that she needs more in-depth support. She mm. needs support where this is not a once a week or once every two weeks or coming. You need to go in somewhere where you're in inpatient and you're getting therapy day in, day out, so you can understand the way you live and change the way you think rather than just yeah. Go no, I totally get that, Dilesh, and, that, and that's what's made my my thinking. That's why I've changed my way of thinking because some people just can't do it in society, can they? They can't do it. They need to be put into another bubble. Yeah. And, and that's what I was trying to get at. You know, how, how did it, you know, the, the bubble you was in, in rehab, how did that change your, your, your thought process? Was it the therapy that helped you? Was it the meetings? Was it just being op opening up and being able to share what you went through as a child growing up? I think it was all of it, to be honest with you. The first, most important thing is I was away from Leicester. Yeah. Because doing the one to, meetings from Leicester and then going back home, that would never have helped me. It was, yeah, being away from everything and everyone, just concentrating on myself, that was number one. Number two, yeah, it was the, all the support you had over there. It was like I'd never known any people to be so supportive and see me in a different light. I'd always been seen as certain, certain thing, different, different things, but the way that they saw me, it was just, it, you know, it was really positive. My therapy really was my assignments. Like, when I first got there, I didn't realise you had to do assignments. So I, had, I remember sitting in the room crying my first day there. And I was crying. Put, I was putting my stuff out, crying, thinking, oh, my God, I'm stuck here. Dilesh, what the hell have you done? <laughs> I was cussing you, really. You. <laughs> and um, I thought, assignments? Like, bloody hell, I'm now going to do essays. I'm not only here in the sticks, we're going to do essays now. But, um, yeah, once I got going with the assignments, there was no stopping me. It was like... I'd do one assignment and it would answer some questions, but it would bring up 
a lot of other questions and then I'd want another assignment to work on that because it was really like you really get to look deep within you yeah. you say when they say the answers lie within you the answers do lie within you you just have to look I didn't know how to look I know how to look now the stage where I called the rehab up to see how she was getting on and they literally like She's just far too advanced. She's doing assignment after, and we're having to tell her to slow down. They told me to stop. They they stopped me completely for a week, and I said to them, "You can't do that." And I said, "What are you going to do?" I said, "I'm going to leave." <laughs> they went, "What?" I said, "I'm going to go home." I said, "I'm not here to like just relax." I said, yeah. "I'm going to. I need. I'm here to work." I said, "So if you don't give me anything, I might as well just go home." Like it was literally that. I was exhausted though. What What, what was it you liked about the, the assignments? Is it was it because you, as you were doing those assignments, you were stripping away the layers? Of who Alney was, yeah, and getting I, to the core, yeah, and it was like it was all on paper. Yeah, I used to write as a child, and I stopped mm. writing. That was the first time I started writing again, and my passion for writing came back. It was having it in black and white, and then more, once I started, more and more stuff was coming out, like you know, in my head and out onto the paper. And, and the same once you put pen to paper, and then in, in the recovery in the twelve step program as well, when you do your life story, when you do step one, pen to paper. It, it's amazing how powerful that can be. Yeah, definitely. And even looking at my site, the first assignment I ever did when I got there, to the what my assignments were like towards the middle and end of my journey, they're so different. Mm-hmm. Like the first, my first assignment is very sort of, I don't know, very general. Yet yeah, the assignments that I started to do midway, my midway point, they're so deep, they're so in depth. Because obviously I'd, I'd got the skill by then to look within me. You know, I would say that was really my therapy. And also like, like I said, being open, having identification, because mm. it was a trauma-based rehab, so everyone, all my peers had been through traumas, even though we hadn't been exactly the same traumas, we had experienced the same emotions and the same, you know, same pain. And also the staff, the staff there that um, were in recovery, and you know, it was one particular member of staff there that I spent hours with her, literally. And I didn't realise how similar we were until I came out of rehab and she was able to obviously tell me things that, because we have to have boundaries yeah, yeah, yeah. when I'm in there. Yeah. But, you know, and it, yeah, the staff, the staff were amazing. The peers were amazing, but the assignment, everything was amazing. <laughs> so what is the assignments? What else were you doing? What else did you have to do in rehab? So we had to do groups. So you had different, because it was a women's only service, trauma-based. So we had to have different, different groups, like beyond anger and violence, relapse prevention, emotional management. Then we had parents in recovery. Then um, Nelson Trust, um, they have a hub. So it's like a college kind of thing and um they we went to that once a week it was wasn't fully functioning but we went to that once a week and you got to do holistic activities like um cushion making and pottery and it and dance and stuff like that so what were you good at there you got it pottery do you know what i went to the pottery class and i was going to make an egg because that week they didn't give me an assignment and i went having none of it (laughs) do you know what they did they gave me a time to write a story Instead, so my story was about his magical egg. So I thought I'd go into pottery, make an, make an egg. I made a whole damn island. <laughs> I did. A whole island with caves and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on, you, I, I interrupted you then, didn't I? <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. And then we had obviously process group. Then we had goals, which is where, you know, your peers tell you what you, you know, what's going well for you, what they've identified is not going so well for you, and, you know, um, ideas to help you improve or just ideas to help you in those areas kind of thing. We had them once every three weeks. Well, my, it was my turn, once every three weeks. We had to do two meetings a week, because it wasn't 12-step rehab, but we had to do two 12-step meetings a week. And then amongst that, we had to do, like, we had to cook, 
and then you know housekeeping and then um you get to become house lead i remember the first time i was house lead i was like you know i wasn't i was like very nervous but the second time i was on it <laughs> but yeah if, if i had sort of taken you back to Alney that wanted me to, wanted to tell me to go away and do one and so on and after that she had a question now is that you look at what would you advise yourself now if you was in that position when I said to you about rehab I would say to, uh, I would uh, I don't know actually because I suppose I don't know I would have said to Anne like you know recovery is beautiful but I did get told recovery was beautiful I you know I just didn't know at the time I didn't know at that time I only know with the knowledge now. Yeah. That's the thing. And you know, when you... I'm leading on to the question Delos has just asked you, is that when you went into rehab and you did that work on yourself and writing those assignments, doing the uh, pottery classes, <laughs> yeah, um, how was that... How did that make you feel when you rediscovered who you were? It made me feel... I was a bit anxious and scared, to be honest with you, because I hadn't been... I hadn't trusted myself for a long time. Mm. Like I said, I didn't know who I was. I was always trying to be what everyone else wanted me to be and fit in different, different boxes. I didn't know who I was as a person, so it was quite scary. And it still is now. Like, you know, still now I think, is it a dream? Or sometimes I have to... I, I slip back into my old ways, not in terms of using alcohol, but in terms of, like, doubting myself. And I quickly become aware of it and have to think, no, Alney, no, like, believe it, or daily affirmations every morning, like... Believe in yourself, Annie. You know you're doing great. You got this kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it was it was scary because it was I've never you know it was an area I hadn't really explored before. But it was exciting as well. You know, like learning to believe in myself and trust in myself. It was exciting. Like I remember um, when I said to my mom, I, so I, I was there for three months. I was meant to be there for three months. Then I extended it by a month, and then I decided that I was only going to do three weeks of that month. And all the staff knew that, they said to me, look, Alni, you're ready to go, aren't you? And I was like, yes, I'm ready to go. And I remember my mum talking to me, she was like, no, Alni, I think you should stay there for another month. Like, you know, Dilesh wanted you to stay there for six months. And, you know, I think it'd be good clean time for you. And the first thing I said to was, mum, they don't like the word clean time in rehab. You're not there for clean time. But after that phone call, I went to my worker and I said to my worker, do you think I'm ready to go? Like, do you think I should stay here longer? And she said to me, Alni, why are you asking me that? She goes, do you think you need to stay mm -hmm. longer? And I said, no. I don't. She goes, well then. She goes, I don't think you need to either, but you didn't need to ask me. And that was, you know, that was me self-doubting myself again. We spoke about you coming home. I think we've missed something out here as well with detox. So bear yeah. in mind, before detox, you've been drinking every single day for a long period. What was detox like? What was that stage like? I was worried what it was going to be like because you have all sorts of preconceived ideas don't you what details are. I thought it's going to be like a hospital and you sat on the bed with IV tubes and all the rest of it I, I did really but I got so like when I got there at detox um I wasn't too anxious about going to detox though when on the way there because I think it was I think for me because it was quite local because it was Nottingham and I was only there for nine days it wasn't the same feeling as rehab like that mm. I was really crapping that but detox, and when I got there, I remember blowing, and you have to breathalyze you, and they were like, Alni, like, you blew really high to go, but the worry is that if we'd seen you in the street, you look normal, like, I wouldn't think, and I didn't know that was a worrying thing. My tolerance was obviously really, really high. But by, because I drank that day, by eight o'clock, they hadn't given me any medication, and by eight o'clock, 
in the evening, I was shaking, like I was laying on the bed and I thought I was gonna fall off the bed. You can't really fall off the bed, but I thought I was gonna fall off the bed. Um, but they came and gave me the Librium. But I'll be really honest with you, so I went in on a Tuesday. By the Wednesday afternoon, I was fine. Yeah. So no, no symptoms you felt? No. And how was that first feeling? Because that was probably one of the first times in a long time you've not drank. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it did feel really, really good. It felt really good because I didn't have any withdrawals. I wasn't feeling ill. I was able to function. You know, I knew what was going on around me. I was able to shower. I was able to shower and brush my teeth. It's just a simple and go thing, toilet. Yeah. Like you know, because obviously when I was drinking heavily, I wasn't able to con control my bladder. Um, you know, it was one of those things. So yeah, it was it was it was nice. Anna, you t you sp you speak about, and I have to do this as well. Literally on a daily basis, just pinch yourself. You know. Yeah. Because you you know not not just the fact that you're sober. Um, I'm with my family, some of the stuff I'm doing, you know, even being here today with you, Dilesh and Tom and yourself, you know, I do really have to pinch myself on a daily basis. You know, how do you maintain your recovery now on a daily basis? So like every morning, and I, I do this, I have like a mental PowerPoint presentation that I play myself. And literally it is pictures, I put pictures of me and scenes of me when I was in active addiction. Like I said, me urinating myself, me having to throw up, me getting to a stage where I'm jumping out of windows, seeing my kids quite as an image I have of my daughter. My daughter's a strong girl. I say strong, but she keeps all her feelings inside. She's had to. But I remember one time when she cried and she said, Mum, why are you drinking? And I'll never forget it. And I, have to, I keep that image in my head. And that's what keeps me on the path I'm on because I never want to go back to that. Never, ever want to go back to that. No. That's very similar to that. I think your children was one of the main things that pushed you into your recovery as well. And I remember several times that Aoni, Aoni would turn up and I'd be like using her children. I'd be saying, mm. just think about your children, just think about your kids. And the following week you come back in and we think about what, where do you want to see your kids? And it used to be really, most of the sessions, when you spoke about the kids, then you'd cry. I did at rehab as well. And Every time I spoke about the kids, I cried. And that was it. Same with every appointment. I just want to see my kids. I want to go back to normal. I want everything to be okay. How is it now with your children? It's amazing. Like, don't get me wrong. I still have a, a way to go in terms of building my trust up with them. Because, like I said to you, it wasn't that... Uh, apart from the, when I became alcohol dependent, before that, it wasn't a case of I'd been drinking every single day for years. It'd be I'd binge drink and then mm. I'd, I wouldn't. I'd be okay for three months and then I'd binge drink. So every time I was okay for three months, my kids' hopes and would be built up and then bam, I'd crash them all. And then I'd build them up again and then bam, I'd crash them all. It was like a little, like, you know, merry-go-round. And so, you know, I've, I'm building that trust up with them slowly, but it's lovely to see them when they come to see me now because they don't have that stress. Is mum going to be all right? Is she going to be okay? I'm sure they have a little bit of it, but I don't see it that much. Now, like, my daughter wants to go to London with me. I know that's a little thing, but, like, she wouldn't have necessarily gone with me before, just me and her. She'd be worried I was going to drink. You um, know? Sorry, God. Yeah, so, like, just things like that. Like, next year, next year, my daughter's 16. So I said to her, oh, I want to take you to Iceland because she wants to see the Northern Lights, and I do as well. And she, I said, but it's just going to be me and you. And she said, yeah, that's fine. I said, oh, are you going to be fine with that? She said, yes, Mum, I'll be fine with that. And that's something that, you know, obviously next year is still a while away, but... Just her saying that, that was never a possibility before. Never. You know, and my, it's, it's lovely. It's lovely being an active and present mum. I was always a mum. 
and don't get me wrong, like my kids always mean meant something to me. But at that time, I, I have to be honest, my my love for alcohol was number one. It's just I just I can't believe the similarities between us. <clears throat> That's exactly you know, it's amazing. It's like your story is just a mirror image of mine. Is it? Yeah. It's because I haven't spoke to you before, have I? No. First time. Um, and, and, and that's what it was, the power of the addiction is just, it's just horrible. You know, you choose, your, you choose that bottle over your kids. Yeah. And for, for the ordinary person, they, they can never understand that. And that's, that's the power of that, that, what that addiction does. I remember my, my lad used to say to me, my young, he was seven then, um, when I stopped drinking, and he'd, he'd be begging me not to go out. And, and, I, and I couldn't do it. No. And I always say that, you know, my, I could justify my drinking over my kids' dinner money. You know, if I was, you know, getting into an argument with my wife for having money. Yeah. My drink was more important than them having dinner. It's horrible, isn't it? Well, I was, my mind was on alcohol before I opened my eyes. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. And then it got to a point where having my ch kids was a chore. Hmm. That sounds awful, but it's the truth. I was so, I was drained from the alcohol because I wasn't eating as well when I used to drink. Having the children was, became hard work. They didn't become a pleasure no more. It's like, oh, I've got them again. Now, I enjoy my children. I can't wait to have them. Like, I have them on the weekends and I'm look, I look forward to it. What will you talk about your kids? What's your relationship with, like, with your parents now? Oh, it's a lot better. Like, don't mm. get me wrong, they're still having to get used to Aoni because Aoni is not the same Aoni that mm. left. Um, and obviously, I'm implementing my boundaries and things like, which, you know, it's important for me, but they're not used to that. But it's a lot better. Like they it's look, a better Alni, isn't it? It's a, oh, a thousand percent, it's yeah. It's a new Alni, it's not the old Alni. So that, they, they're used to, used to the old one, Maybe they? it's the Alni that was always inside me, it, but not yeah. the Alni that I, you know, yeah. showed. I think I can vouch I think it was the Alni inside you because even though these sessions that we had, I remember when he was coming to see me, I could always see that there was, there was something there. There was passion, there was love and there was drive there. But it was just finding it. And I think... I'm sat here talking to you and I'm literally just, I've smiled from the start because this is the first time I've heard this story. And that, and that was one of the main keys is that, is that I knew there was something there. And it's you've just gone out and done the work and put in the work, work now. And I think it's, you, you're just looking ahead and you're already talking about going away. But Dinesh, I mean, listening to Arnie's stories is, is amazing. You know, I mean, honestly, you are, you're an inspiration, honestly, to a lot of women, Aww. not just in our community, but I think, you know, wider, right? Because, you know, it is tough as a mother and, and to, to be open, so open and honest about what you went through in your addiction. Yeah. It, it, is, it, it really is inspiring and, and you deserve a lot of respect for that. But for you as Alni's key worker as well, I mean, to sat opposite her today and when you witnessed her walking in first... <laughs> And to, to yeah. see the person she is now, it must, be, it must feel amazing. He, he needs a medal. I've, 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 I've got goosebumps because in reality, reality speaking, we've done a lot, of, a lot of podcasts today and even had Sarah, the operational manager from Turning Point here today. But as a worker, we never see this. Mm. We don't get to see this. And actually sitting here opposite you and having this conversation is probably one of the first times I've been able to see this and have the conversation and see how... The, the little light that I see into actually you going out and delivering, you going out into the rehab, going to detox, and putting in the work, and that's that's amazing. You put in the work in. Yeah, but it's it's like you saw that light, you saw that, and you you didn't believe in yourself. But today you put that effort in, and yeah. it always comes back to down to that individual yeah. wanting to change, putting the effort into it, 
And, you know, Andy's proof of that. Because I remember detox. I went to detox earlier than expected. And I accepted to go into detox and I didn't even know. And he, I know he was worried. Because I think you were thinking, I don't think she's ready yet. Yeah. Or and whatever. We, but we spoke a lot. Well, we spoke a lot about preparing you for when you come back home after rehab. And I think we spoke as well about the problem of you living at home with your parents. Yeah. And I think my fear was, at the start of that, was for you to go to rehab then come back home to your parents house and be in that same environment, be in that same world, and things won't go to plan. Uh, but, uh, do you know what? Rehab said the same thing. They said to me, ideally, you would not be going back home to your parents. That, it, was, it was the same concern they had. And, and how did you address that? Because I, I, I agree with that, what you just said. You? If your environment's going to be the same when you leave rehab, then it's, going to, it's making it hard for you, right? So have they, did they change the way they... Um, no, I think I just... Just, I went back thinking to myself, I could move out now, or I could move out. Is that realistic? No. It's putting more pressure on myself because I wasn't in a position, I wasn't, I'm not working, so I was putting myself in a position which would be more, more stressful. So I just went back just being the only that I'd learnt to be in rehab, and they take it how they take it kind of thing. But it's been all right. Only, I'm, I'm sorry, Dennis. I'm conscious of time, but honestly, we'll definitely be talking to you again. Um, <laughs> You know, in the Asian community, yeah. um, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, amongst men and women is swept under the carpet. They don't want to talk about it. They don't no. want to be stigmatised. It's a massive taboo. You know, you coming forward today on this podcast, talking so openly and honestly, how do you, how do you feel it is in our community, in the Asian community, especially with women? I think it's completely taboo. Like you said, it's unheard of. Mm. Obviously, it happens because I'm living proof it does. But you don't hear about it and it's not spoken of at all. I know there's loads of women that are suffering with addiction. And I think a lot of it, I might be, you know, from my own experience, a lot of trauma and stuff goes with that. But it's very unheard of. And it needs to be spoken about more openly because it does happen. Definitely. And if anyone, any, anyone's daughter, anyone's mum, anyone's sister listening to you what what would you advise them or suggest to them i would suggest to support them mm. get in touch with the drug and alcohol service like turning point and just support them through their journey because there is light at the end of the tunnel there can be and i'm proof of that and you're living proof of that yeah and I, I think there's a little bit extra to add to this success story could you tell me something downstairs about your application or something that you, you heard yesterday Oh yeah, I'm going back to uni, so I'm starting my biomedical science degree from year two. Mm. Hopefully I should start tomorrow, it's been, you know, with the COVID it's been a bit of a mess about, but yeah, it's something that I'd always wanted to do, a missing part of me, but I never believed I could until I went to rehab, and it was in rehab that I rediscovered that actually, no, it's not, I, you know, something I can't do, it's something I can do, and something mm. I am going to do. Mm. So I came out of rehab, and the week after I applied to uni, and I just got the unconditional offer today and the unconditional offer I got today from them so and this was also a goal that she said to me when she was in her addiction I don't remember you, <laughs> you actually said to me about going back to university and going back to work was a goal that was when you was in your addiction so you've actually made what we spoke about then uh, the reality and you're doing it and again it's another reason to make me happy on this yeah it's been a privilege. It's been an honour to work with you. And you, Delish. Thank you. 
Um, do, you, do you see attitudes in our community changing in the Asian, Asian community? I think unless it's spoken about more openly, mm-hmm. then it's not, the attitudes aren't going to change. The only reason the attitudes sort of changed within my family is because I went through it mm-hmm. and they've seen it firsthand. There was no like, hiding from it. But, but also, you know, your family were quite supportive as well. I mean, for your dad to pour you as, as that's, that's, you know, for an Asian man, yeah. Punjabi, Hindu, Muslim, doesn't matter. You know, it's frowned upon in our community, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And then for your dad to have to control and manage your drinking, man, that must have been heartbreaking. As I said to you, like, he had a tear in his eye the first time he told me, but mm. he knew that if he didn't control it, I would not control it, but without it, I could seizure and die. Yeah. There yeah. really wasn't really a choice. But have you been able to make amends with your... So I have with my grandma. Yeah. I, I suppose I have a bit with my mum and dad, but I do need to sit down and talk to them. So when you've sat down with them, you'll give us a ring, Neil Delash, and we'll, we'll do another podcast. Yeah. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> and the whole episode on your amends with your mum and dad. And I, maybe they could join us. Maybe. Hey, eh? that'd be uh, great. I'm quite interested in what you're saying about your grandma. So you said you have with your grandma, because I was thinking that, like, for your grandma at 70 odd years old to actually go through that. I, yeah. I, I grew up with my grandma and, and I just don't know how it would be if I put through that. So to be in this situation, say you made amends, how is that? Well, so, yeah, so for me, well, firstly, like, I, I've been going down to my grandma since I got back. Like, she said to me, oh, I've been praying for you and this, that and the other. She's one of the first people I came and saw before I went home um, was, was my grandma. And then um, I've been cleaning for her. It's something that she can't do. She's, eight, like, she's 80 now. She was 79 when I was in active addiction. But, you know, and she tried to give me money. And I said to her, no, but I don't want money. But that's what I call my grandma. And she'll say, no, like, you need to take it. And I said, no. I said, because when I couldn't do, you did for me. Now you can't do, and I can, I can do it. I'll do for you, you know. And I just said to her, like, well, like, you know, I'm really sorry. I remember, like, you know, I fell downstairs and I broke the, you know, your statue of your God and stuff. I said, I'll buy you a new one. You know, I feel, I feel really bad about that. And she went, no. She goes, I, I, she goes, I don't need any more anyway. I've got plenty in the house. She goes, my greatest blessing is that, you know, you're better. But I suppose my amends, instead of like saying it, I do. So I go around the house once a month and I deep clean the house for her. And, you know, I, I show my appreciation to her. And it, she thinks I'm just doing it for her. But a bit of it, I'm doing it for me as well. Because I get gratification from seeing her face. Oh, it looks lovely. It was so dirty before. Look how lovely it looks. I say, yeah, but... <laughs> but this is, you know, this, my grandma's still alive as well. And my dad was an alcoholic. And this is why I see the similarities. And it was heartbreaking for my granddad. My dad died at 53. And for my grandma to see my, my dad pass away and then to see the grandson go through that. And I was probably a worse alcoholic than my dad. And I think my family, including my grandma, had all accepted that I was going down the same path. Yeah. But a lot earlier. And to see my grandma's face today, and when I go around to see her, I, I, nothing beats that. And, to, you know, and, and you're saying that the, the time you spend with your kids, that quality time. Yeah, ultimately it was my kids. Yeah. I, I never knew what it was like to miss my kids so I went to rehab. Then I knew what it felt like to miss my kids. I valued my kids, but I never knew the, my kids' true worth until I went to rehab. Now I know how blessed I am, and I mean that. Like, my children are my everything. Oh, no. It's been amazing, man. It's just, wow, you're an inspiration, honestly. Thank you. And I'm so, thank you, Dilesh, as well. And, uh, yeah. No, Dilesh is amazing. You've yeah. been amazing, Dilesh. Yeah. It was, again, finding, knowing that you had it in you, knowing that it's possible. And I'm guessing the same with a lot of other work people are work with, it's just, it is possible. You've shown it. 
Oh yeah, it's actually possible. To look at one of the first, all of this, to look back on all of the things you said you've gone out and done. See, I don't even remember, like I said, I don't even remember telling you that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> I don't. Even, even we, we spoke, to remind you, we spoke every week about your children, and you're saying how much you love them and how much you want to do for them, oh. and you're here today doing that now. You're saying about your, your ba, your grandma, now you're here doing that. You said about going to university, now you're here doing that. So in your addiction, you even spoke about these things, and just in your recovery, you made it reality, so... Best of luck for your future. It's, Thank it's you. Been, it's been great to have you here. Thank you. And then when you come to your year's birthday, yeah, me and Dilash Ash and Tom will be here to celebrate with you. Oh yeah, wicked. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, Andy. Thank, Thank you. you.